there's a place for personality in learning and development. There's a particularly a place for personality in e-learning. And if you do it in the right way, you can create warm, engaging experiences, which stand in contrast to this very regular diet of boilerplate, compliancy, click nexty content. And I think if you can find that space and find that voice, there's very powerful results to be had. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from. I'm Matt Pierce, host of The Visual Lounge, where we talk about using images and video in the workplace and sometimes so much more. Today, we are going to be talking about the modern workplace, the traditional workplace, and maybe some of the things that aren't working so well with it in terms of learning. So workplace learning, as you probably all have experienced, might have some problems. There's also a lot of good out there. And today, our guest, Jonathan Hill, is going to be chatting with us more about that. So let's, with that said, let's introduce introduce Jonathan. Jonathan Hill is an award-winning learning manager and e-learning developer based in the UK, currently working in the gaming and gambling industry. He is an articulate superhero and also a big fan of Camtasia. Woohoo! Thank you, Jonathan. And likes to experiment with training formats to challenge traditional ideas of workplace learning, which is why I want to welcome Jonathan Hill to the Visual Lounge. Jonathan, welcome. Hi. Hi, Matt. Good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Yo, it is so great to to have you here. We have, you know, I think we've crossed path, uh, paths in like on LinkedIn, on Twitter and all across the social media stuff. But uh, I mean, it's just brilliant to be able to have you here and and be able to chat with you. So real quick, anything I didn't say in the introduction that people should know about you before we dive into our questions? No, that was very fair. After being arrested, that was a very fair summary. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, if people don't know you, I, I do want to recommend they go out and find your profile and, and connect with you because I know you always have great things to say and you're always sharing with the community and putting out great information, particularly our friends who are using Articulate Storyline, which is you're you're brilliant at as well. So uh, there's you. a there's my little plug for you. But let's let's jump into our 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 three questions that we always ask everybody. So uh, our first question is, you know, you you mentioned you're a fan of Camtasia, so I feel like this is fair game. How did you get involved with starting to use video? Yeah, so um, as an e-learning designer, um, I moved into Articulate in particular from PowerPoint. So I had a kind of slide mentality. And I think a lot of people who who perhaps started SMEs and then move into authoring tools in that way um, tend to take that slide mentality with them. Um, and slides tend to be snapshots. They tend to be frozen moments in time, don't they, of, of data, headlines, often too much information. We've all sat through, we've all sat through those presentations. That's why my uh, Twitter handle is dev by PowerPoint, because it's a bit of a pun, you know, that, <laughs> you know, because so often actually now I still go back to PowerPoint when I'm specking things out. But obviously one of the limitations is it tends to be quite a static format. And if you, if you take that mindset into e-learning design, your e-learning designs can feel a bit slidey, a bit kind of static mm-hmm. and slight. Um, so there were occasions um, when I first started getting into e-learning where um, the, the obvious low-hanging fruit for video was screen grabs, screen captures, um, showing systems and processes in what was uh, a financial services uh, industry, in the insurance industry, uh, and how to navigate claim systems and the like and screen capture. Um, so I first started to get involved in, in video via that because what would often happen is my subject matter experts would um, do a screen capture of a process and the mouse would be all over the screen. There'd be lots of like 
heavy pauses and then lots of lots of really fast activity. And I, I got into editing those videos to kind of take those take those errors out, but also work with the um, the screen geography, as I like to call it, the system geography. You know, there's areas of a screen, particularly in financial products, which you don't need to focus on for the bit that you're training on. So I was I was getting into pans and zooms and and cropping. Uh, and that's what that's what got me into it. I wanted to just focus on what was get move away from a slide men- mentality, but also then use editing tools to focus in on what was important on that shot. Um, and I also got to do a few um, little promotional videos for the company I was working at at the time. Uh, we were given a budget to go and buy a camera. I went out and filmed some um, interviews with key members of staff. So I also started to get involved in video that way as well. Um, and I think with without having done that and without having cut my teeth in that way perhaps still would have had that here's a slide of information here's a slide yeah. of information and it just kind of breaks you out of that a bit and and the way that video can kind of particularly if you use it at the start of a course can really kind of set the set the tone set the scene and really grab attention um, that's what i've developed into recently uh, using it as a, it's a cold opens you know look at this terrible situation and how can we fix it and kind of set set the challenge for the learner I, I love that. And I love that it, it you, you made that transition because I think I, I do see a lot of people going from that slide mentality to I need something more robust. I need something that's going to be not so just static and, and video is a great way. And I love that you're, you know, even today I saw some examples of video that I, uh, on LinkedIn, someone posted this example of all these kind of short snippets, kind of like TikTok style videos that were put together for Excel. It was awesome. But the thing is, I couldn't read the formulas like on my screen. I'm like, I it's a great example of video, but I can't see that little formula that you're typing out. And so, you know, there's lots of ways that you can enhance uh, with those pans and zooms and focus that attention. So that's great. Okay, next question. And we're going to talk more about workplace learning here in uh, later on, but I want to ask you this question. What what does success for workplace learning look like for you? That is the $64,000 question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> if, if, if you ask that's why we get paid the big bucks here. <laughs> if you ask the accountants, it's return on investment. And if you ask L&D, um, it's often still focused on reaction to learning. Um, I don't think as an industry, we go far enough into Kirkpatrick as we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're somewhat happy, somewhat content with cheap, you know, with happy sheets that come out of a, a course. At the end of a course, at the end of the training session, everyone was happy with training, then, then that's the result. So um, I think there's, a, there's a, a real need to demonstrate that what you've produced, the intervention you put in place has had the outcome that was, a, outcome that was desired. So if, if somewhere in the business a, a dashboard is flashing, a warning light on a dashboard is flashing that something is going wrong, there needs to be a really good root cause analysis as to what's going wrong before you even chuck training at it. And then if the solution is training either in full or in part, Having implemented that, has that has that light stopped flashing on the dashboard, uh, and that and that to me really is the kind of very kind of Fisher Price summary of of, of where we need to be. Um, someone comes to you with a problem, establish it's a problem that can be solved by L and D, and then once you've deployed your solution, has that warning light stopped flashing? And and those are the metrics that the business are going to look at, and in particular, those are metrics that any senior leadership team are going to look at. And if that, if that dashboard light's still flashing at the next senior leadership team meeting, they're going to be looking at L&D and asking why. Um, so I've become much more mindful of that as I've advanced in my career and become a learning manager. Um, I still like to get into the nuts and bolts of design and all that, all that good stuff that creates the really 
inclusive, um, warm, um, detailed experience for users. And they come away from that experience feeling like they've, they've gained something and had a good experience. But I also need to talk hard numbers sometimes. And that's where we get into the impact of that. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of, as you said, $64,000 question, right? That's the one thing that I think a lot of groups struggle with, how to connect what's happening with the the learning to the those actual outcomes. And, you know, I, I feel very fortunate, come from a, a education background where we talked about systems, right? And and training was not always in the system, the answer. So you're looking for like, what is the, what is the solution that's going to work here? Is it, maybe it's the way you know, we often use the example of assembly lines, right? Maybe the assembly line of whatever, the taco, the the machinery was in the wrong order or there's efficiencies that could be gained there. And that's really the problem. So I, I love that, that you're thinking that way. And we'll talk more about workplace learning here in, in a few minutes. But before we do that, what's one tip you could give the audience to help them improve using, let's take focus on video. So what's one tip they could use to help, you could give them to help improve using video in their workplace, we'll say learning even, workplace learn, learning. I think the, the single biggest thing you can do is, regardless of, of lighting, setting, effects, it's just the sound. You've got to get the sound right. Um, because particularly if, if you're expecting people to sit and watch and listen, um, the sound is really important. And then obviously paired with that, uh, for those for whom sound isn't an option, either environmental or personal reasons, uh, closed captioning. Uh, and making sure you, you get at least both because frankly, everything else is kind of a nice to have. The visuals need to be clear, of course, but if you can't understand what somebody's saying or follow what somebody's describing, then you kind of, there's, there's little point to doing it. Um, and, and, and sound is, I mean, such a hard thing to get right. Um, but when you do, it really, really pays dividends. Yeah. Well, I love that tip. And, you know, I, I have to admit, we know on the show, there have been times when I've chosen the wrong microphone or somebody showed up as a guest and they didn't have, like, we had some people outside, then there were birds in the background. Like we know that happens, but uh, your point is so important, right? So, and do every time you can do the best you can. Uh, we love good audio. Good audio to me is a, such an important piece of any good video. So great, great tip. So Jonathan, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back in just a second. Hey everybody, just wanna interrupt for half a second here to tell you about TechSmith Academy. TechSmith Academy is a learning platform where you can go and learn all about using video and images. We have a ton of free resources. All you do is go log in, create an account, or use your TechSmith account, go and access any of the courses we have available. For instance, we have Nick Nimmin has four different courses out there that will help you learn about making video and how to make better videos and what to make videos about. We've got videos about how other people are making their videos like with Oz Dussoule or we've got things about writing helpful help with Michelle Wiederman. We've got other great creators including myself out there talking about making videos whether it's your first video or your hundredth video or beyond. We've got something that's there for you to help you make better screencasts, to get set up learning how to get good audio and a whole bunch more. So go to academy.techsmith.com, log in and check out any of the resources again all for free. We'll see you over there. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Jonathan Hill. We're talking about workplace learning. Jonathan, let's let's dive into this topic deep. Uh, first question, we you, we talked about kind of the results, what defines good outcomes, right? The, the measurement earlier on in the episode. But when we when you're thinking about workplace learning, let's go step back kind of high, really high level. 
what are you talking about workplace learning? Is it all learning in the workplace? Is it, you know, are there limitations here? Is it like, what, where do you focus on when you talk about workplace learning? That, that is another $64,000 question, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, we're, we're, we're totting up quite a bill here. Um, the, I think it depends on the culture of the business uh, versus the resources that they have and the constraints that the users, the learners operate in. Um, what I think most organizations um, do well is putting uh, regular mandated compliancy content in front of people on, on, a, on a pretty regular basis for obvious reasons. And I think, I think most large organizations are pretty good at that. Where I see um, learning and L&D taking that further is, is almost embedding a learning culture that encourages people to visit those resources outside of those times in ways that meet them in the flow of work and in ways that don't take them away from their work in, in, in such large numbers, such large quantities of time that it affects the actual business you're trying to, to support. So there's, there's definitely a balance to be had there between um, resources and courses. Um, and sometimes a desk aid is enough. Um, you don't need to go, you know, fully featured e-learning or video. Sometimes a desk aid will be enough, but that's part of a wider learning culture that, that allows people the option to visit and obtain access to information in a variety of formats that, that meet them in the flow of work. Um, and that's the bit that I think most organizations can always do better at um, and taking, taking their learning platform and the learning content away from it being a kind of mandated experience to something that people um, actually enjoy doing and will seek out in their quiet moments. So my career today has been largely around regulated industries like insurance, financial services, and most recently gaming and gambling. But what they have in common is that they're often, um, the coalface of those businesses are often call centers with agents who are taking calls, taking chats with customers. Uh, they've got wrap times, they've got targets to meet. And slotting in learning into that, into that routine, um, I, I've seen a gradual push toward more micro learning formats to support that, um, and also interfaces with with platforms that they use regularly. So I've seen some quite inventive uses of Teams and Slack and other communication channels that most modern businesses use, uh, and learning integrations that kind of speak to those systems as well are very exciting as well because you're not only meeting them in the flow of, of their job, you're meeting them actually in the screen that they work in on a day to day basis. And, and, and competing for your audience's attention against everything else that they've got going on, um, whilst allowing them to still service their customers. That's, that's the golden formula for me. Um, and, and just pushing beyond, you must sit down and do your work as they say on South Park, you know, it's, um, that's not a culture I like to, like to impose or follow. Yeah. So, you know, I was going to ask you as my next question, what are, what are workplaces getting right? And I think what I heard from you since you already answered, I think you answered some of the question was this idea of some companies, organizations are moving to this workplace culture. This idea that learning is obviously there's times for compliance stream. We know as much as we, maybe we all cringe a little bit. Oh, in fact, I've got some in my inbox. I've got to go do, I'm going to do it later today. Uh, despite the fact that we have to have those, it sounds like that workplace culture is about ingraining kind of learning at points of need. So let me ask you this instead of what, what are they getting right? How, if I'm in an organization and maybe I'm someone, I'm in a learning role, or maybe I'm in my organization thinking, I, hey, I want to help them get better. How do I start to make sure that this happens? How do you infuse kind of a workplace learning culture? Because 
you know, culture is a, is a big thing. It's, it's hard to move. I think oftentimes culture, I feel like springs up around kind of what's there. Uh, so what, what advice would you give us if we're like, okay, I have some of these challenges. I want to move in that direction. I want to make a difference in my workplace learning. A $64,000 question. Our bill after this thing is going to be so, I, I don't have the kind of resources to pay it for this. Not, not, not what the funds we get on this podcast. So, uh, but what are, what are your thoughts, Jonathan? I think, I think this goes beyond sort of asynchronous and e-learning as well. I think um, there needs to be a very clear journey for anyone entering that business as to what support they will receive in terms of learning and training and resources throughout their career. And, and that's got to be aligned to the trajectory of their career. So you come in as a, an entry-level employee and as you become more highly qualified, highly skilled, highly, more highly tenured, what support do you get? And in turn, what support do you offer others who are not quite as far along that journey as, as you? Because what I see as a big part of this is being, you'll have formal trainers and formal e-learning designers, but also creating almost an ecosystem in which you recognize you have mentors, team leaders, SMEs in the business, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of putting people in those positions, um, through uh, a kind of basic training about making, about making it sound like full metal jacket, you know, a basic training in, you know, um, <laughs> mentoring skills and, and being able to have learning conversations with, with their staff. Um, and that's a combination of being able to coach and mentor their, their, um, colleagues, um, but also being up to date as to what resources available and almost ask as an ambassador for and promoter of the, the, the system um, and have a kind of try and, try and produce a virtuous circle, in, in fact, you know, so people go through this process, they become advocates for the process and help others through the same process. And then with that, you need some policies that support that. So um, where you do have busy workplaces where time is precious, you, I think you need to ring fence some people's time for those, those learning events that can't be in the flow of work. Yeah, you do need a bit of dedicated time. Sometimes even a dedicated area. So you think of a call center floor, um, there might even be a side room where you just set up a slightly different environment for learning to occur, be, be e-learning or, or in-person training. You know, um, It's surprising how many organizations uh, try and carry out formal training on the floor or, or, in, or, in, or in huddles while everything else is going on. And that has its place and it does work and it's part of a bigger learning culture. But I think having dedicated time and space as well for focused learning activity, as well as that peer-to-peer -peer mental support is really, really crucial as well. And a lot of LMS providers have latched onto this as well. And, and many of the main LMS providers now provide space in the system to do that and also allow, you know, um, appointed people in the business to capture their own screens, make their own videos, pop it onto the system and share their knowledge and expertise and have it kind of being a kind of self-sustaining system as well. Um, and personally, I'd like to reach that point with my own organization, um, I, I, hand on heart. We're not, we're not at that point at the moment, but that's where I see, uh, you know, it becoming not just a question of return on investment because it becomes just part of the machinery of the business. Um, and, and where problems do emerge, they, they almost self-correct. Um, and that, that would be, you know, the, the, the ultimate L and D environment and culture for me. Yeah, uh, not by no means easy to do, right? It's no. something, uh, but it, but I think it's these conversations are helpful because I know um, in the few places that I've worked, it, it's it's tough. It would be tough to make that change to that kind of the whole scale because what I love the approach though is that you're talking about like 
you have multiple things, pieces. It's not just about the compliance. It's not just about face-to-face training. It's, it's about using all the resources and assets and making sure they fit at the time and place that, that makes the most sense for when learning. Probably going to be, I would say people are going to be receptive to it or open to it or, in, or even pulling them away from the thing, from the busy spot so that they can focus on it, right? Like this is, it feels different, right? I step into uh, my office, you know, like we, before we started the show, many people, maybe they know this, maybe this, they don't, but I have this, the stinger that I use for the live show for two and a half years. And I still play that even though it's not in the show anymore. And the reason I play is because it sets the mind, right? Like I know, okay, I have to be on the podcast. Uh, and I, I imagine pulling people into a room that's set up a little bit differently. It's a little, it's quieter. That allows them to change kind of like, oh, I have a different type of focus and attention than, you know, I'm not trying to answer calls or, or whatever it is you're doing. So totally, totally. Yeah. So, so you talked a little bit about this and I want to come back to it because I think it's as a show, the visual lounge, this is what we talk about. You talked about using micro learning. You talked about getting people to use kind of uh, maybe make their own videos as a mentor to, to help people. So from a media perspective, what, what's the role of multimedia, whether that's images, video, Shoot, we'll throw in interactive kind of e-learning stuff. What is what role does that play in this content? It sounds like it, it's got a role. There's lots of probably things you can do with it, but how would you help an organization to maybe narrow down on what to use when? Yeah, so um, I think clearly things like like video and, and short videos and and carefully curated suites of videos are really really good to give people quick two or three minute summaries of a topic guides on how to do something. Uh, it might be part of a process they don't do often, but it perhaps as important that they know where to go to, for the refresher than perhaps know the process. Um, and that's that part of the magic here as well, I think, is that when you are curating multimedia content, that it, it, it gets the message across in a succinct way um, and people know where to find it and can access it readily and easily in order to, to, to get the answer they need, often to help a customer. Uh, often just to refresh themselves as they're doing a task that that's you know infrequent but important, um, and and perhaps mapping out um, per job role, you know what what's the bread and butter activity for that that job role? What's a, a nice to know? What's a need to know? What's something I don't call upon often? And then cutting your cloth accordingly, and, and creating resources that that best fit that topic and best fit the format and best fit the the time and space in which that needs to be consumed. Um, it is a bit of an old chestnut though, that every time I need to fix something in the house, I go straight on YouTube and watch a video on how to fix it. You know, <laughs> it's a washing machine seal or I need to change a tap. Um, so the, the power of, of seeing someone do something, um, watching someone else do it um, and having that broken down into steps that you can easily replicate. Um, you know, we, we do it all the time in our personal lives. We're not quite so good at doing it in, in, our, in our workplace um, because we tend to oscillate between here's a PDF with lots of information in in case you need it and here's a two-hour training course that you need to sit all the way through and the navigation's locked. And it's that oscillation, I think, that kind of put people off and we need to meet them, meet them somewhere in the middle. And multimedia is definitely um, one of the purest and... Um, and more immediate ways of doing that when you do it well. So, so one of the things I I, I wonder about. So, I, we I think a lot of people in the L and D industry who have worked in there a long time, or or even generally, I think if you've ever worked with a subject matter expert or SME is however you like to call them, 
often what, when, and I'm guilty of this, right? Even in the show, I'm an expert. I know a lot. I have a tendency to say like too much. And as soon as we empower some of our peers that are not learning development experts, and I think we're just as guilty of this when it comes to our stuff, but when we empower them to say like, hey, you know, let's start making this stuff so it's immediate on demand. We can fix the the tap or the washer seal or whatever it is that they need to do in their equivalent in their workplace. How do you how do you help make sure that they're your kind of non-expert learning development people, subject matter experts are making stuff that is going to fit well and work in those environments? What advice do you give to to folks that you work with? Um I've in the past used what I call the the Twitter challenge. And I, I know Twitter isn't in good favor at the moment, but um, what I've tended to do in the past is I, I've said to to subject matter experts, um, thanks for your 14 pages of content. <laughs> um, could we get this into 14 tweets? What are the, you know, what are the what are the big takeaways from each of these pages? And can you say that in 240 characters or less and treat it almost like a, a Twitter challenge? So if you were tweeting this information to your followers rather than sharing it with your colleagues, how would you go about doing it in a way that met that format? Now, that's not to say that the final product would be restricted in the same way, but it just gets them to focus on, crikey, yeah, you know, if I was trying to broadcast this via a platform like Twitter that had such restrictions, and I didn't have the luxury of loads of video, team V learning designers, four hours of my colleagues' time, how would I get this, get, get this over to them? And that's something I've used probably for five or 10 years now in terms of sitting down with SMEs. Um, and um, you can kind of say to them in that way without saying to them, this is a bit long-winded or you need to get to the point. We'll say, uh, I often sometimes use as cover as well. And I hope no one's watching this. So I've had this conversation with um, my, my, my layout won't accommodate, won't accommodate a, a question of that length, for instance. Or um, my layout, if I put all this content in, I'm going to have to change the font size and start messing around with my layout. So could you do me a favor, do me a solid and, and just cut this back a bit to what it really needs to say so we can, we can meet the layout. And often that's about making sure the layout also supports the visuals as well. So the importance of the visuals and the text supporting each other. Um, and um, you can also then go into some of the psychology of question design as well. Uh, one of the things that SMEs are usually guilty of is the longest answer is usually the correct one mm-hmm. and excessive use of jargon, which gives away the correct answer. Um, so another challenge I set to them is, is, is about plausible distractors. So when we get into assessments as well, where sometimes those conversations can go off the rails a little bit, he's, he's talked to them about um, if, you, if you were trying to trick a colleague into making the wrong decision, uh, if you'd be really mean, what would be the plausible answers here rather than just throwing a few sentences together, which by comparison are obviously the wrong answer. Um, and those are the two common pitfalls I found uh, in, in, those, in those relationships. It's too much content or, it, or it's, it's, it's too technical, it's too jargony. And, and meeting them in the middle by setting them little challenges on how to refine that content, almost gamifying the conversation, if you will, um, as, as paid dividends. And I've enjoyed some really positive relationships with SMEs over the years by, by working with them in that way. Well, well, I love that idea of uh, whether Twitter is in favor or not, that short, like, okay, if I had to send this via a short text message, a short Twitter, a, a short tweet or whatever it is, I love that idea that like that's the focus because then you can say you can still put the most important thing, but you only get so many op- times to do that because after 14 tweets, I'm probably done. It's a really long thread, <laughs> right? Uh, but I think they understand that. And that's, I, I, I love that idea. And I, I'm assuming it applies to video as well, right? Like, well, 
we used to we used to make tutorial videos back long time ago now uh over 10 years ago and you had file restrict real file restrictions you know you could only upload certain sizes to video, to to youtube youtube had a 15 minute limit uh we had a product jing that could only record five minutes right like you had real limitations and those were often uh some of our best videos because they constraints of like well if this is bigger i think it was four megabytes if we had videos for, we couldn't put them on our website <laughs> can you imagine a four megabyte video now that's insane this this video alone will be like four hundred megabytes. Yeah, and 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 you can see how the technology influences your solutions in in, in exactly that way, and um, sometimes playing to the restrictions that you um, are imposed or impose on yourself can really bring out the best in the content as well because it really forces you to to focus on what's absolutely pertinent to the topic. Yeah. Well, before we uh, before we wrap up today. Jonathan, I want to talk to you about humor. I know you you've done some stuff with humor. You you know, uh you look engaged engagebraintrain.com. I think you have some stuff on there that's uh some humor stuff. Um first of all, what's so what's the appropriate role of humor in learning? Is there a role or should we just be really serious all the time? I I think there's definitely a balance to be struck, but I think if you ask most people who their favorite teacher was at school, um largely um that will be the teacher who was clearly competent at their job, clearly knowledgeable in their topic, but also presented it with, with humor and uh, with humanity. You know, um, there's a famous psychology experiment and the name always escapes me, but they get, they, get, they get three panelists on a radio show and the one guy is answering all the questions uh, expertly, but he's got, you know, no personality and he's almost robotic. The next guy's probably nearly doing as well as him, but he spills his drink on himself in the course of it. Uh, and then the third guy is absolutely in incompetent. And when they test the reactions to the personalities on um, on those three characters, the second guy who's competent but fallible and has a bit of humor always comes out as the most likable and, and people engage with that. So I think there's a place to be that guy in, in e-learning in particular. Um, a lot of e-learning is, is pretty boilerplate. It's pretty by the numbers. Um, once you've done it for a while you can even sometimes tell which authoring tool is being used with your eyes closed um, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing but imagine you're uh, you know at the coal face in a business you see this content trotted out in front of you every year at the same time um, I'd like to be a little bit inventive about what that looks like and how that performs and occasionally that will that will involve humor so if the topic lends itself to humor um, I'm all I'm all for using it, um, but I've been fortunate to work in environments where that's been the case. Um, you know, there are definitely topics, and I don't think I'll have to name them that you couldn't use humour for. Um, you know, because it would be disrespectful, it would be you know rude or libelous. Um, but there are lots of occasions where you can use humour to engage your engage your learners. There's studies to show it makes things more memorable, makes content more memorable. Um, and my advice would be to make it context specific. So try and relate it to the context of the topic as, as much as possible. But there are occasions where you can perhaps go a little bit Monty Python, have an interaction that doesn't, an interaction that doesn't perform quite as expected. Um, so for inspiration, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say, look at the way, um, look what happens when you're disconnected to the internet on a, on a Google browser on your phone. Yep. You can play, you can play the little dinosaur game. 
Now, nobody expected that to be there, but it's fun. It's a little bit of a distraction until the until the, the internet's back on and you can you can Google away again. Um, so there's, there's times like that in courses, I think, where rather than having a click next, your interaction might just be a little bit a little bit more whimsical. Um, and there's a place for for fun in functional. Um, as long as the fun doesn't take you away from being functional and it's still easy to navigate, you know, there's there's ways that you can do that. Um, and I've had a lot of fun with um, cartoon characters, robotic characters, um, characters who you can put through things that if you put a human through them, would, would <laughs> you'd be a very different different matter. But you think of Wiley Coyote, of course, you know, and car- cartoon humor. So you know, there's there's lots you can do, um, even if it's just a dad joke, even if it's just a pun, even if it's just the title of your course has got a pun in it. Anything that just makes it kind of stick in the mind. Humor, humor does have a place, but of course you need to get that signed off and it needs to be appropriate. Well, that is actually a perfect segue to my next question. And I'll just jump to it rather than all the comments I was going to say about getting, having the internet come back on right during high score run of the dinosaur game. Uh, but this does seem like a thing you got to get signed off on. And so obviously, you know, if, if let's say we're having a conversation, you're trying to convince me to use some fun in the functional here. Uh, and I'm maybe the CLO or VP of something. And, and I'm like, uh, you know, humor gets us in the trouble or, uh, I don't know. That's uh, how do you, uh, what, what from a kind of corporate leadership standpoint, how do you go about getting that buy-in? Because it does seem like that it, humor is, is subjective. Humor can be tough. If you get it wrong, it can go really wrong, even if you're not intending. And obviously there's subjects that are not the place to try to cut your uh, stand-up chops on, uh, but so, so Jonathan, what, what do you say to those leaders who are a little hesitant to allow some fun in your, your learning courses? I mean, I'd reference someone like, like Rance Green and, and his work on storytelling um, and, uh, and Christy Tucker and, and branching scenarios and had the space in storytelling and branching scenarios in particular to illustrate the unhappy path, the, the, you know, when, things, when things go wrong. Um, and sometimes the unhappy path can be quite humorous. Um, sometimes you can make the, um, if, you, if you place the learner in a third person perspective rather than a first person perspective, they can kind of, kind of laugh at the person making the mistakes. Uh, the learner becomes a kind of god in the machine, as it were. Um, they choose the events that befall the character. And when things go slightly wrong, you know, a pratfall, a drink spilt on them, you know, I mean, these are just kind of frivolous examples. But as long as you link it to storytelling, and as long as it's within the context of the topic, um, I, I would find it difficult to become, to, to you know, um, accidentally offend or invoke a kind of legal proceedings if you stay, stay in your lane, stay, stay related to the topic. So as long as you link it to the storytelling and you, can, and you can sort of convey to your senior leadership team that the power of storytelling in terms of learning, um, some stories have funny endings. Um, the unhappy path in a branching scenario could have a funny ending, and and that repetition and reward. Perhaps you get to the funny ending. Uh, you know, you failed. Something funny's happened. It kind of just leaves you. You've got feedback to say that you failed, but it's come in a kind of almost like a compliment sandwich. You've had a bit of it's wrapped in a joke. Um, so you're you're more predisposed perhaps to kind of repeat it and have a kind of warmer experience as a result. So that that would be my pitch. But it's, you're right, it's not entirely appropriate and it's, it's always going to be subject to sign-off. Yeah, well, well I, I love that, right? That it's going to bring, 
you know, you're going to bring in these stories. Life is not always serious. Funny things happen to us. Funny, we have funny stories. Um, so I also say though, here, here, here's because you are a the uh, little bit I've gotten to know you. You, you, you are funny. You have great timing and you're, you know you've got some comedy skills. I think I suppose uh, humor's hard though. It's it's hard to be funny if you've ever been around like a six year old telling a joke and you're just like oh, that's not funny at all, right? Like, um, it, you know. So I wonder for those of us who maybe feel humor challenged, um, it doesn't. I mean, I we're saying humor broadly, right? Uh, humor. It doesn't have to be funny necessarily. It could be fun, but. What 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 would you say to to those people who are like, gosh, I'm just not good at that. I'm not good at the fun part of it. Um, play inspiration. You mentioned storytelling. Any place else I could go, or anything else I could look at to help me to to do that better and be maybe make a more con- convincing case. Yeah. So I think um, the the way I start off a lot, and you'll see this with my learning heroes challenges, is. Um, What's great about e-learning hero challenges is you're completely unburdened by a senior leadership team, a brief, a client. It's complete. It's a complete blank canvas. Um, but but sometimes my way into those challenges is 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 a pun, a play on words from from either the title of the challenge, the topic of the challenge, and that gives you a kind of often unboxes, uh, reveals a, a, a story, um, and word association exercises. I think are really easy way to get into um you know that kind of dad joke punnery which can then kind of unlock a theme a story characters um and i, I and, and don't be afraid to, to play around with that um you can be you can be quite um on the nose sometimes when it comes to using puns and the worst reaction you're going to get is a groan other people are going to get a chuckle out of it but again you're kind of the, the play on words often work because double meanings then kind of becomes, they become sticky as Julie Jerkson would say, you know, in yeah. learning terms, it, 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 it's sticky. You're, you, you, you're being asked to integrate two meanings at the same time, which is ultimately what we're doing with a lot of training content. We're asking people to integrate new information with what they already know, particularly as adult learners. So, so punnery and wordplay is a really great place to start. Um, so um, there are lots of uh, this is very UK specific, but I think you could probably find it outside of outside of the UK. There are lots of great Radio Four comedy programs in in the UK, um, and um, often they are panel game shows. One is called "I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue," which is heavily around wordplay, and because it's because it's a a podcast, it's a radio show. There's no visual. Um, the pictures that people paint with words. Um, listening to comics do that on a regular basis. Um, and being prepared to get a few groans from the audience, you know, there's always going to be a couple of groans here and there, but when they strike gold, it's really, really good. And there's a round in, in that show in particular called the Uxbridge English Dictionary, where they give alternative meanings for existing words, which is really, really funny. Um, and, uh, there may be a US equivalent. Um, I, I'm not aware of this, but that kind of comedy, um, where you perhaps listening to the way people use words. Um, is, is, is has been for me the, the way into it. Um, and then of course, visual comedy is, is really big as well. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up on a staple diet of, of Monty Python. And one of the things I really loved in that was the animations that Terry Gilliam used to put in between the mm-hmm. sketches as well. Um, so sometimes, you know, silly imagery can work as well. Um, and silly things happening to silly people ultimately. 
Um, so you've got a character in an e-learning course who's made a series of really poor decisions. He's not going to be compliant. What, what's, the, what's the most comical outcome that can happen to him or her to illustrate that this person should have behaved better? Um, and like I said, that journey for me often begins with a little bit of wordplay. Well, well, I love that. And so before we move into our speed round, I have to ask, you mentioned dad jokes a few times. So do you have a favorite dad joke? Oh, you put me on the spot now. I, 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 I love them all. I mean, my, my, I, I love just being able to, to do a dad joke and do it kind of unprompted. Um, so, um, my, my, my son bought a, a book home from school. It was, it was Greek, Greek myths and legends. Um, and I claimed it was all about Greek people's feet because it was leg ends, not legend. <laughs> and, and it was worth it just for the groan, just for the groan from, from my son, you know, stuff like that. And I think it, I think if you can be quick about it in the moment, that, that, that works even better. You have to go away and think about it and then come back an hour later and say, oh, you remember that book you were reading? It, it doesn't, doesn't quite work. Um, so getting practice with just, you know, making those word associations is, is, is really key to it, I think. Well, I'm going to have to store that in my dad uh, joke database or my database. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a, an awesome conversation. We're going to dive into our, our, our quick speed round questions and then. We'll wrap things up for today. So let's go on to speed round. All right, Jonathan, here what we're going to do, we're going to have, we've got a 12-sided die. We're going to roll and we're going to ask one of 12 questions. So let's switch to our, our, uh, our dice cam. Maybe, maybe not. Let's try this one. There we go. And hopefully these don't roll all over the floor like they did last time. Ooh, a 12. I think this is the first time we've had a chance to ask this question. So question 12. What's your one go-to tool that helps you get your job done on a regular basis? So it could be software, it could be hardware, it could be that the tool that you're always going back to and recommend. It's PowerPoint. I'm sorry, it's PowerPoint. I mean, That's, that that it's I don't know what it is. It kind of draws me back every time. If I want to sketch something out quickly, it's PowerPoint. Um, just being able to export vector images from PowerPoint. That's just like it, it's worth the price of admission. Um, you know, just to mock something up quickly, but often the quality is there for final products. I, I have to say PowerPoint gets dogged on a lot and mostly because we use it poorly uh, in, in industry, but I, I love it. I use it all the time as well. And, you know, in fact, I just had to do a conversion from PowerPoint to Google Slides to get a uh, long story short, to get some videos to play on this new online platform. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so painful. Um, because PowerPoint, it's, it's so much you can do with it. So great, great answer. All right, let's go back to our dice cam here. And question two, it rolled off. So I'm just going to slide it over so you can see is question number five. So Jonathan, you truly are an expert at creating interactive learning modules and creating learning experiences and get to talk about, uh, you know, that in your bio and your work, but what's something else that you're an expert in that we might not know? Oh, I'm expecting that you might not know that. Um, I, 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 I build a lot of Lego. I'm a really big fan of Lego, some of which you can see behind me. Yeah. Um, and um, we've got lots of the more advanced sets. Um, and I just really enjoy making things out of Lego. I am a little bit Will Ferrell about, about not being dismantled when, once they've been built. I'm like the dad in the Lego movie. Once they're built, they're built. Um, so yeah, but I, I, I think I've made a couple of my own creations, um, 
and um, there's some software you can use where you can um, design it online in 3D and then you order the parts and um, yeah, you know, my wife and I have had words about that. I need to stop doing that. You know, it's, it's quite a drain <laughs> on the bank. <laughs> Legos are not cheap. My We are working on a Viking long ship with my son right now. This is his first Lovely. Lego set. He's 11 and uh, I think my wife and I are enjoying it way more than he is, which is... Uh, which is part of the fun, I guess, but he'll get there. He'll get there. So, okay, well, we'll see one more question. So here's what the dice is. Let's see what's going to say. Oh, it is uh, just off screen a little bit. So let me just slide it over here and up. And it is question number 10. Okay. So, so Jonathan, uh, you're, you're working in industry. It's awesome. Things are going great. Uh, what's, what's coming up next for you? Anything that we should know about? Not, we're not asking you this if you're changing careers or anything like that, but just generally what's next? What's next? I really enjoyed speaking at DevLearn this year. Um, I spoke at the Articulate conference, the, the, the co-located event slightly before the main, the main conference. Um, so I think this year, well, next year rather, I might try and get a speaker spot at the main conference. Um, so that's, that's the kind of long-term thing, I think, for the next 12 months. Um, but every day is a school day. I'm, I'm always tinkering around with, with all the softwares that I, I, I use. Um, Getting more and more and more into JavaScript. I can't quite see the matrix yet, but you know, I'm getting there. Um, and, and, and just, just pushing things as far as I can in terms of how I represent the content, how the, how the, the, the software performs, getting the most from that. But also now through the lens of, of sharing those, those experiences and that expertise with, with my team. I have a, have a team of uh, seven designers uh, based in Manila. Um, who I was fortunate enough to be able to visit this year as well and spent a fortnight with. Um, and I, I, I got to the point now where, um, I mean, I've always been very open about sharing what I've learned, but I'm now kind of doing that in a, in a more structured way with my team um, as I've become more about managing the team rather than doing the do myself on a day-to-day basis. But I, just, I still like to keep my hand in. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jonathan, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, before we wrap up with our final take, if someone wants to connect with you, they want to learn more from you, where should they go to find you? I'm on LinkedIn um, as, as, as John Hill on LinkedIn, uh, John Hill 123, in fact, uh, really imaginative, <laughs> really imaginative dad email address there almost. Um, and I've got my own website, which is Engage Brain Train, and I am on Twitter as Dev by PowerPoint as well. And you can find me on, on, on those three platforms in May. All right. Sounds good. So as we like to end our, wrap up our shows, we always give our, our guests a chance to give their, their final take, a short, quick answer to kind of summarize everything we've talked about. So Jonathan Hill, what is your final take? My final take is that there's a place for personality in learning and development. There's a particularly a place for personality in e-learning. And if you do it in the right way, you can create warm, engaging experiences, which stand in contrast to this very regular diet of boilerplate compliancy click nexty content and i think if you can find that space and find that voice there's very powerful results to be had perfect thank you jonathan hill it's been a pleasure to talk with you and go out and connect with him go, go thank find you him. send him some legos maybe i don't know <laughs> 
his, he can't afford them anymore, but he, he, he could use them. So I want to thank you again, Jonathan Hill, for, for joining me. And we want to thank everybody for joining us as always for every week. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We always like it if you like and subscribe or leave comments so we know what you're finding helpful and useful. And of course, we'd like to wrap up the show the way we always do. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we hope you find a little time to level up. Thanks, everybody. 